Some years ago, there was a young man in California who was receiving the death penalty. He committed a very serious crime, and it was a very public crime. So you had a lot of people there with, you know, billboards and whatnot celebrating it. And you, there was media outlets, too, who were recording it as the death sentence was slowly being about to take place. But on the other side of the fence in the corner, there was one woman who was standing alone. And at one point, one of the camera persons and um, the reporter went over and tried to find out her story. She wouldn't speak. And one, at one point, the reporter said to her, she saw that she was crying and she said, why would you ever cry for him? Do you have any idea what he did? And the woman looked back and said, all I know is that he is my son. Sometimes wonder if that's how, fought, how God the Father sees us. Regardless of what we've done in our life, regardless of the sins we've committed, all I know is he is my son. He was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and he has been found. What I want to focus on is the difference between the response of the elder son and what caused him to see his brother as just a mere sinner that he could disregard versus the response of the father who runs out to him in order to bring him home. And the question we can bring is, how can I see reality, my reality, the people around me, as God sees them? That's always the goal in our life. That's what true conversion means. It means I see my life in the world as God himself has seen it. And Christ is talking to the Pharisees who are angry that he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so he's addressing this parable to them because he's saying you're not seeing reality as you should. You're not seeing God as he truly is. And that's our goal in life. So let's look at the father. The father is the one who runs after his sons. Both sons he's, he encounters where? Outside the house. All right, so one is left physically. He's actually gone a long journey and finally coming back. And when he's still a long way off, the father runs out to him. And the other one was just working in the field, slaving away but he refuses to come in the house to celebrate. The father encounters both outside the house. And that same thing happens in our faith. You have some people out there who are partying, who are looking for everything they can in this world with no thought of God in their life. And God is going after them. But you also have people who are in the church, who come to mass, who go through the rituals, but they still don't know who Jesus Christ is. They still don't have that relationship with God the Father. And he's going after both. The parable could actually be called the prodigal father. We call it the prodigal son because prodigal means wasteful and lavish. This young man who just wasted all of his inheritance and all these different worldly things. But it could also be called the prodigal father because it's almost a scandal to us how wasteful the father is with his own mercy. He doesn't even think about himself. All he thinks about is loving his children exactly where they are. And it almost seems like an affront to justice. He just wants to give them everything. Put the finest robe on, his, on him, a ring on his finger, and kill the fattened calf. And his attitude is the same with the older brother who stays outside. He leaves the party that is happening in order to encounter him. He says, my son... Everything that I own, everything that I have is yours. 
So the Father that Christ is revealing to us is pure compassion. He's pure love for his children. And Jesus Christ understood this as the eternal Son of the Father. That's why Christ could say, the Father has put everything in the hands of his Son because the Father loves him. So Jesus knew the compassion of his Father, and that's why he could live it with those around him in his life. So the question is for us, how can we live that same compassion of the Father in our life with those who are around us? I mean, I think the best way to think about it is like your family. Like when we judge somebody, we do not judge our family the same way we judge random people, right? There's a very big reason, important reason, simple. We love our family. We naturally have an affection for those who are closest to us. So we justify their behavior because our love is bigger than the law. Even when we can say, I don't agree with what you're doing and this is wrong, I still love them. The problem with the Pharisees, the problem with how we can see people that we don't know is that we just see their actions. So we don't actually know the person. And when we just see the actions of an individual, it's very easy to categorize them as tax collectors and sinners and pagans and what have you without actually knowing the person. So it's almost as if Christ is saying the only true way to judge another is through your love for them. Otherwise, it becomes too narrow, too disinterested and detached from reality. I know this to be true because the most annoying person in this world is my big brother, Galen. It's like a, my sister-in-law said when she married my other brother, she goes, your brother Galen has like five different sides and every single one of them annoys me because he's just very obnoxious and loud and opinionated. Nothing like myself, obviously. So, but it's like anybody else in this world with his personality, I probably wouldn't hang out with, except he's my brother. And so I love him. And that bond, no matter how crazy he is or opinionated or how much I disagree with him, nothing's going to sever that bond because my love for him is what filters my idea of justice with him. Now, this does not mean that just because you love someone does not say that what you did is right or what you believe is right or you have your truth and I have my truth. That's absolutely false. There is objective truth. And when someone sins, when someone breaks that law, we can recognize that and say that. But the way we treat them, the way we encounter them, it has to begin with love. You always have to, it's an, it's an effort, right? Because we naturally love our family. But it's, a, it's as if Christ is saying, you must have that same effort by your willpower to love those around you as you would a brother or sister or mother or father, son and daughter. That doesn't come naturally. So the problem with the Pharisees And the problem with the older son was that they didn't really love these individuals. To them, they were just tax collectors and sinners. It wasn't personal. And it's interesting because even the older brother, when when he describes his brother to his father, he doesn't say, when my brother came home, he says, but when your son who spent your wealth on prostitutes comes home, he won't even acknowledge him as his brother. Nor did the Pharisees acknowledge the the tax collectors and sinners as the people of God. And what's fascinating about both is that Christ himself said to the Pharisees, your your father is the devil. If you knew my father, you would know me. So number one, they didn't understand themselves as sons of God. 
But even the son who stayed home did not know that he was a son of the father. When he describes his relationship with the father, he says, look, all these years I served you and not once did I disobey your orders. And he's just coming in from the field from doing work. So the way that even the son who stayed home conceptualizes his relationship with God is one as a slave. And when the, when the prodigal son came home, that's his idea too. At least I can have a better life if I'm living as a slave for my father than I would out here. And so the father has to redirect both of them into sonship. My son, everything that I have is yours. Do you not understand that? And maybe one thing that that shows us is that if I myself do not know who I am as a son and daughter of God, really personally in that relationship, I won't be able to judge others the same way. We cannot give what we do not have. Embarrassing story. But it's about me, so I can tell it. Just not in public. It's a small crowd today, so I'm okay with this. Except I put it on my homilies on YouTube, so there's always that. Um, I was at a pro-life convention one time. And they were, you know, it was a beautiful banquet and whatnot. But at one point, they all had a testimony about uh, this one woman who had had like four or five abortions. And then they were able to meet her, and she was about to go in. I think she was going in for a fifth abortion at this time. And she met these pro-life activists, and they actually convinced her to keep the baby. And then along with that, they showed all these pictures of her and they like got her a new apartment so she could get out of the relationship with her boyfriend, gave her all this food and like enough diapers for like a year and just everything that she would need for like the first like three years of her life. And at one point, I leaned over to the friend I was with and I said, doesn't that seem like a little too much? Like, doesn't it seem like she was giving a little too much after four abortions for one baby. And the guy just turned over to me and he said, the prodigal son. And that hit me so hard because I realized if that woman had been my daughter or had been my sister, three years wouldn't have been enough. It's like I would have done everything I could to get her settled and bring her into this new life. But because I only saw a random woman, I did not have that compassion and empathy and love of the Father for her. And that's what I'm saying, where unless you see one another, all of us, as brother and sister, we cannot truly judge objectively. And true objective judgment is not just what I see. It has to be filtered from love. Because that's how the Father sees every single one of us. And that is why the prodigal son story is really incomplete, because there's a third brother. Jesus Christ himself is the third brother of that parable. The son of the Father who actually left his home in heaven to descend into our exile where we were lost in our sin in order to bring us home. And he's saying to us, that's exactly what our life as Christians need to be. And what's really beautiful, but this comes from Luke's gospel, right? 
the last words of Jesus Christ to anybody in Luke's gospel on the cross, who is it to you think? The good thief. Today you will be with me in paradise. As if the whole work of Jesus Christ was leading up to that moment to find that lost son who is repenting at the very last moment of his life and be the first one to be promised salvation. And that is a work that Jesus Christ continues to do in every single Mass as he descends in the form of bread and wine to transform it into his own body and blood. So then us who receive him into our being, little by little he will teach us to call our God Father and one another brother and sister. And that is the way that we can truly judge reality and one another as we are.